0: Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley B Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well, but Now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, Hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn... From some of the greats. I'm going to have some of the best softball players, some of the best softball players, parents, even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off, you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner, so that she can become the best version of her. And that's what we want. We want our athletes to be able to thrive, and that's why we're here. So, welcome to this podcast. This is going to get real. This is going to get deep. And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Hey, hey, and welcome back to When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle, and we're back for part two with Rachel Folden. So this is part two, which means there was a part one last week. So get to know Cubs minor league hitting coach and lead lab tech, Rachel, on last week's podcast. I won't go over all her credentials, but basically she is paving the way for females in the MLB. And last week we learned a ton about her story about playing baseball first and playing college at Marshall and then playing five years pro and then building Folden Fast Pitch, which is a facility up here in Northern Indiana. So that story, first of all, is super incredible. More things we talked about were the importance of being at your daughter's lesson, the importance of showing her that you're learning alongside her and how that can help your relationship with your athlete. We also learned how coaches are the biggest bridge between athlete and parent and how as a coach, we can lean into that and use that role as a responsibility to help these athletes become smarter hitters, but also just better people. And we talked about the best ways to use technology for your hitters. So blast and diamond kinetics, things like that, Rapsodo, how can you use those to benefit yourself as a hitter. We kind of dove into those a little bit. And so in part two this week, we're going to be going even deeper into the swing. So we dabbled into technology. We're, we even talk about more technology in this episode. And let me tell you, we nerd out about the swing. Like when I say we nerd out about it, we go pretty deep. Um, we, t- I think she does a really, really good job of kind of like bill-nying everything and like breaking it down so people who don't know intricate concepts of hitting can still understand but we dive deep into this we nerd out about ground force and using the floor to create energy we talk about the sequence of the swing, starting from the ground, working up into our hips, then our core, and then our arms, and how to go through that swing sequence efficiently. She gives us tons of drills that she works with hitters to work on these sequence and make sure that your athlete is going through the proper mechanics in order to create the best ground force, the best contact, and the best hits that she possibly can produce. After going through drills, we also talk about mindset a ton What type of mindset should you have in the box? And everybody's different. And we kind of go through ways that you can kind of try to figure out what mindset works best for you. And then lastly, we talk about competing. We talk about how Competing is that bridge to allow practice to turn more into game-like situations. Make practice hard, add pressure to practice, and we talk about ways to compete. She even gives us some fun little drills that we can do to work on our competition, but that's, that's the game setter that's changing the athlete who's not just good in the cage, but also can bring that to games. So um, if you want to listen to part two before this one, go to the show notes or just head to last week's episode with Rachel, because again, we're just kicking off where we left off um, this week with part two. And so if you want to go listen to that, go ahead over there. If not, if you loved last week's episode, let me know somewhere on Apple Podcasts, your favorite parts of the episode so I can try to keep getting guests on that can talk about the things that you really love to listen to. Um, Without knowing, I can't produce things that you want. So just let me know on Apple Podcasts or send me a DM on social media, whatever. I really want to hear your feedback because these episodes this week and last week are some of the most deep dives we've ever done into hitting and coaching and parent-player relationships. So I love this episode. I'm so excited for you to dive in. And without further ado, here is part two with Rachel Holden. Can you go over what ground forces to you and maybe how you're enforcing that with your athletes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... So force is mass times acceleration, right? So the bigger you are, the more force you're going to create. That's just like mass matters. And we can argue that or we can not argue that, right? I would bet I outweigh you by about 30 pounds at least. Okay. But so I'm naturally going to have more. uh, I'm going to have a higher probability of creating more force than you just because I have more mass. Okay. Now rate of force development to me is the most important part. So how quickly can you transfer that energy from the ground and into your body? To me, that is the most important part. So if you're looking at it on a graph, right, you would want a skinny needle. You wouldn't want like a slow build and then coming back down. That's not what you want. You want like a boom shot up. Yeah. Okay. What, what we would consider like fast twitch or explosive or whatever, however you want to you talk about it. Now, when it comes to ground force, I think what most people get wrong is they think that it's about how hard we can push off of the ground and away from the ground, right? And so that's true to a certain extent, but how well can we get into the ground so that we are actually like, transferring that energy right because if we're like like in terms of hitting if we're just pushing off of our back leg we're becoming disconnected from our energy source which is the ground and now we're not allowing ourselves to to have as much usable energy to transfer up and hopefully out the bat and into the ball so when we when people think about ground force they just think of like well use your legs and it's like okay yeah but like how (laughs) right you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, and, and I think what transforms like the way I thought about it is I, I don't remember where I saw this it was probably on like some Twitter deep dive when I was like super bored one day, but it was like, if you cut off a person's legs, right. If they just had like a, like a pelvis and everything above it. Right. And let's say you cut off their arms mm-hmm. too. Okay. Would they still be able to walk? And the answer is yes. Right? Their pelvis would be able to kind of like scoot itself on the yeah. ground. So, where is the movement actually coming from? It's coming from the middle of your body, it's coming from your spine and from your yes. pelvis, right? And so, our legs just help us stabilize to allow our middle to move better, mm-hmm. right? No one is saying, Yeah, I would be able to walk without legs, but I'd be able to walk a heck of a lot faster with them, right? It allows me to use that energy better. So, when we are talking about using the ground, we have to make sure that our middle is in a position that it can move efficiently. And that's going to then tell our body how to use the ground. So how we load our middle of our body, how we load our pelvis, how we like and unload our pelvis is really going to determine how efficiently we use the ground. And so, and if you think about it, like you can work on this in the weight room, you can work on this you know, like just being a good athlete, but like, that's what we're after. We're not like when you, when you deadlift in the, in the weight room, you're working on a hinge pattern so that you can load into the ground better. Mm -hmm. Right. You, when you are doing like a single leg movement, like a lunge or whatever, you're learning how to like load one side of your body and unload the other side of your body simultaneously, which is kind of what hitting is. And so like, I I think people just assume that like, well, if you push with your legs harder, you're going to create more force. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. It's, am I putting the middle of my body into a better position to move more efficiently? Oh, I love that. And I love
0: that you brought strength training into this because when I, that's actually what I studied in school. And when I started incorporating and thinking about like, how does the body move? It's like, it's like a no brainer. Like, It's so funny. The other day I put on my like Instagram page, I'm like, Hey, do you want to be able to like, know how to like get more out of your legs, do five squat jumps and then go take some swings or take five swings and then do five jumps. And then like take five more swings after the jumps and just watch what happens. And people are like, their mind is blown. They're like, how was I that fast? I'm like, because you learned how to use the floor to create energy and you used it into your actual swing. So I'm kind of nerding out right now. I'm very much enjoying this. And I hope, and I know everybody else listening either is, or they're like, man, my kid's like seven. (laughs) Like, what do I do here? She should not be deadlifting if she's seven years old. But I like how you incorporated just lunges and like even just doing an air squat, like that's just learning how to use that um, efficiently. I'm a huge fan of this. So back to the core do you have athletes do core exercises when you work with them? Um, if you do, are there specific ones that you use probably more obliques and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. I think the, the big, like obviously here in professional baseball, we have a world-class weight training department. So we just defer to them. Like they're really, we have, they're incredible. So I just kind of let them do what they do in the facility. There's only so much I can do obviously once a week of strength training is not going to get an athlete stronger. It's, it's just not. So, you know, I, I try my best to defer them to the people who are tops in the field in the area. You know, you need to go see this girl or this guy and they'll get you right. They'll get you strong, make you a better athlete, you know, whatever. But what we can do is we can activate. And so what I try to activate the most in terms of the middle of your body. So I'm just going between armpits and knees right? The middle of your body is, I, I, I think where the lowest hanging fruit is anything that you can do to help them stabilize their turn. Most kids are over rotational. Mm-hmm. Most kids rotate too much, right? The like, typically they're narrower than an adult. And so they turn faster. Yeah. And so they're, they, they're over rotational, especially when it comes to like, if you're just talking about hitting how they impact the baseball or the softball is a lot of it is they're over rotational. So they're actually side swiping the ball versus hitting through the ball because they can't shut their core down. So to me, the lowest hanging fruit is like anti-rotation and stability exercises with the middle of their body. So like a plank, anything that's like a single arm or single leg variation of Mm -hmm. the plank, like, you know, like plank and like shoulder taps, but like, don't let yourself turn anything anti-rotational to me is like the lowest hanging fruit. So like a payoff press hold, um, having them like take, I use Jager bands all the time for this kind is of stuff. Is that what they're called? Um, I always call them Jager. Like, <laughs> you can call them Jager bands. I don't know. I mean, I call them Jager bands, but we just call them J bands in the facility. Yeah. So like, you know, you could pull across your body and then slow yourself on the way down to build some stability but like isometric holds, anti-rotation, anything like that to me is the lowest hanging fruit on how to get a kid better. Because if you're turning everybody, I think we kind of, for the most part, like we understand how to turn fast. We don't understand how to stop fast. And so like, to me, you're not only accelerating, you know, you hit, you're in a sequence, right? Like your hips turn first and then your middle turns, and then your shoulders turn, and then your arms and back follow, right? Like all of those are in a sequence. Well, the next segment can't really get up to top speed until the segment below shuts down, right? That's literally how you're transferring energy. So you can't create energy as you go up. Like that's literally a law of physics. You can only transfer it. So in order for me to speed the next segment up, I have to shut the segment down. And Stoney, who's now my boss, he... Explain this to me in a really, really simple way. So, like, if you watch, um, like, the, the speed skating, the short track speed skating in the Olympics, mm-hmm. where they have, like, there's, like, 50 people on the ice and they're all, like, pushing each other and, like, trying to get around, right? When you watch that, per the, the one skater skate up to the next person, push this skater, this skater speeds up and this skater slows right. down. Because they have now lent the energy to the other player. And they can't, you can't create Mm -hmm. it along the way. You can only transfer it. So, when you're turning, if you cannot shut down a segment of your body, the next segment, it can't go as fast as if you shut down the previous segment because the segment below it is still using up some of that energy. Yeah. And it's wasting it. Right. So, when we look at like how to create direction and keep your barrel in the zone, as long as possible, if we can't stop and stabilize one segment of our body, then we can't adequately transfer energy to the next segment of our body. And we're just going to lose speed. So that's why you see a lot of hitters and you probably have them in your cage. I have them in my cage all the time where they swing hard, their barrel speeds, hard they turn they turn really fast. It looks really good. And then, but when they hit the ball, it's just like the ball doesn't go mm-hmm. anywhere. And, and, and mom and dad are like, why has, you know, all their teammates are hitting home runs and i are hitting the ball to the fence. And it just seems like she doesn't hit the ball as hard as everybody else. And well, her direction probably sucks. Her speed is good, but her direction probably sucks. And so a good way to control direction is just understanding how to stabilize the middle part of your body to allow your back to stay linear, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're rotating, but we have to shut that rotation down so that our back can get linear again. And so that's where I think that's the lowest tank. I know there's a long-winded answer and I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, like stabilize, like anything isometric holds, anti-rotation, figuring out how to stop is just as important as figuring out how to go.
0: Mm, great answer. So you said stopping is just as important as going. So how can like, as a hitting coach, what are drills that you teach your hitters to work on stopping while incorporating
1: a swing? So one of the best ways to do it is like, start out with just like no feet, like kill the feet, like however you want to, I call them heels down swings is like keeping your heels glued to the ground and like allowing people to swing. But your constraint is you can't lift your back heel off the ground. You can't lift either heel off the ground. So you have to figure out how to load and unload your body. And what that does first off is it keeps them centered. So it keeps your pelvis in between your feet, right? Most hitters either swing with their pelvis around their back leg, or they swing with their pelvis around their front leg, but very few of them swing, or I shouldn't say very few, but the good ones swing with their pelvis in the middle of their feet, right? It turns very efficiently that way. Once that happens, right? You're not only getting the push from the backside, but you're also getting the push from the front side. And so because of those two things, that's going to help your pelvis stop quicker and it's going to prevent you from over-rotating with your upper body. So that's like a good way to start. I totally stole that drill from
0: you, by the way. I have to throw that in there. I So I saw you teach this and I'm like, where was this drill when I played, right? So I start doing it and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm getting so much more out of my own swing right now. And then I started using it with my players, not knowing all of the things you just described now, but I feel like I've gained so much more knowledge just by you describing it. So that's an amazing drill. It's worked so well for my athletes. Um, and I've only been using it for like a year now, but big fan. All right. I'm ready for more.
1: Yeah, I think. No, it's fine. I think that drill is about as universal as it gets, to be yes. honest. Um, there are very few drills that I would use on just about everybody, but that's definitely one of them. Another one that I really like is anything where you have to stop at contact and shut your swing down. So like it's not a slow down into contact, but it's literally like a full speed, like you're a Ferrari and you're hitting a tree. That's what, that's how, that's the analogy I like to use. So like a good way to do it is you can take a PVC pipe and just swing as fast as you freaking can and slam on the brakes as fast as you can. And that you'll see the energy travel down the PVC pipe. It'll bend. Mm. Right. And so like, that's like the easiest way to do it. And you can do them high pitches, middle pitches, low pitches, so that they can learn how to stop with posture as well. Um, And then if you're looking for something inside the cage that you can do, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to take a heavy bat. So like even, even just your regular bat with a donut on it, Okay, just something that's weighted and take a light flight or a wiffle mm. ball. Okay. Toss the wiffle ball to them and have them stop at contact. So here's what happens. Okay. And I'm this is gonna be a very another long-winded answer. <laughs> okay. So just get ready. The when you have hitters who have early success at making a lot of contact, right? They're they're your best hitters on your team, they make a ton of contact. We rely on the ball the energy from the ball because that ball has energy too especially the harder they throw it the more energy it has that inertia from the ball they we allow that to, to stop us to decelerate mm-hmm. us. and so we get really good at making contact and then when pitchers get better and we start having to adjust and figure out how to stay on plane longer right with pitches that are moving They often struggle to do that because, well, there's nothing to shut my body down. I'm not making contact with the Mm -hmm. ball. Okay. So my swing is kind of wild or maybe I'm a little early and I can't stay through the ball enough because my body is still rotating. Right. So when you do this like heavy bat with the wiffle ball drill, you're taking the inertia from the ball out of the equation because the ball has no weight to it. Right. And now I'm figuring out how to stop something super heavy. So you're now building that stopping mechanism while you're still hitting a ball, which is great. Right. So like when you think about like throwing like heavy balls, like the plyo balls and stuff, those are great too for teaching direction to for staying through the ball. It gives you feedback, but this is another way to help do it that I really love to just help people shut their body down without having to feel the impact of the ball, shutting them down for you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So well said. I'm going to have to try that. Would a tennis ball work if I don't have a wiffle ball? Yeah. Yeah, a tennis ball work. I'm so pumped. I have like four hours of lessons later. Guess what I'm bringing out? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do I it. I love experimenting. Do it. Why not? And I think this is just why you probably agree with this. Like when you're introduced to something that you know could help, like just any any athlete. Like I think any athlete can use this. But as a coach who's just like, I love new things. I love trying new things. Like when I learned about the Chuck It when I was younger, the Chuck It, like the dog toy that you can like create a yeah. barrel whip yeah. with. When I learned about that at like a college camp, I think it was like Notre Dame. My dad bought one of those things. It was like 12 bucks. And we use that thing all the time. And now I use it all the time with my lessons. But. I don't know. There's just so many like creative ways to work on this stuff. And the fact that you're geeking out with me and describing what's happening with the body, it's like, it's like a whole new world. And I kind of want to chat about this for four more hours, but I can't exactly do that. So to be conscious of your time, we've talked a lot about the swing and mechanics, but I know you're really passionate about the just co- competing aspect of hitting. Like And I'm huge on like the sports psychology aspect. I took a sports psychology class in um, college and it really changed the game for me when I learned, obviously I know the competing aspect, I've been competing at a high level for a decent amount of time. But when I learned the psychology of competing and competition and losing and learning how to lose, but fail forward, like I, I geek out about this and I know you love talking about competing. I don't even know what to ask at this point because there's so many ways we could go with it but how important is competing to you and maybe how do you incorporate competition in the cage to help your athletes understand like pressure is something that we should be practicing.
1: So the competition aspect during training has been severely undervalued. Okay. And the thing that bothers me about that is that we're trying to prepare a player to play a game where they, we expect them to compete, but we're not teaching them how to compete. And so the problem with these like individual lessons, and I'm someone who does individual lessons. Okay. The problem with these individual lessons is that these kids have nothing to compete against or compete for, which is why I like turning on the hit tracks or turning on the blast and giving them something to compete, something that holds them accountable. Cause that's essentially what competition is, right? It's just a mechanism of holding somebody accountable. It's how do you measure up, right? Like, am I am I measuring up? Am I better? Am I worse? Do I need to get better? Do I need to get worse? It's literally just an accountability tool. And so like, when you're, we, we get so lost in the cage of trying to make these kids metrics better or trying to make them look better in the cage. And we forget that they have to go out and play mm-hmm. a game. And there are so many aspects to that game That are more than, hey, you PR'd on your max distance today. Well, that's cool. You were throwing 25-mile-per-hour underhand (laughs) runoff. Like, you did not prepare me to hit a 60-mile-per-hour drop curve. Right. Or you did not prepare me to hit this girl's rise ball. Like, you just didn't. And so we can say that they're getting better, but are we actually preparing them to play a game? And I did that for years. I did the whole sit on a bucket, toss balls, kid hits bombs. Boom. You did great. You did awesome. And they left feeling great, but then they would go to a game and they would suck. They would suck. And it was like, okay, well, why do they suck? They're getting so much better with me. Well, are they, who cares? Like the, the cage doesn't matter. And so we have to make sure that we keep the environment in the cage as close to a game like environment as possible. We have to hold them accountable and we have to make them compete. You know, whether it's like at the end of every lesson, like, hey, this is your last ball, and then making sure that the last ball is the last yeah. ball, like that's a way to compete instead of it being like, okay, one more, one more, and just letting the kid go home and feel good, right? Like that's not you're not teaching them anything cause that's not what that's not the demands of the mm-hmm. game, right? And so you know, one thing that being like that I missed and and I, and' I've, I've been pretty open about this. like when I went from college coaching into the cage, right? I enjoyed my job better, enjoyed my time better, but I missed the feedback that the game gave me to take into training. And now I get that again, which is amazing, but it's like, yeah, we can teach them, you know, how to have a great cage swing, but like, that's not a competitive environment. Like when I need the kid to, to execute a hit and run play and have good barrel control, did I teach him that? Or when I need, when I need the kid to like, this, this girl's got a really, really good rise ball and we've just popped up the last six at-bats in a row. When I need you to go out there and not do that and do something different, did I, comp- did I prepare you for that, right? So there's so many aspects of the game that we just are, have like these blinders on when we're in the cage. And it drives me nuts because it's like, we're not teaching these kids to compete. We're teaching them how to showcase. That's all we're doing. We're creating good showcase players. We're not creating good game players. And then we send them off their high schools into their colleges and their colleges are like dude what the heck like this kid can't play at all and it's like yeah because we didn't teach them how to compete we just taught them how to showcase and it worked it got them there and now when they have to play they're not getting any playing time because they don't know how to play the game Mm -hmm. so we have to make sure that we're introducing that competitive element and always relating hey this here is how it's going to help you in the game here not just look good in the cage that that just doesn't do anything And, and that's like, that's one of the things that like, I'm so happy that I get to coach a team and then coach these players individually now is like, I get the game feedback. Yeah. And I, I, if I could go back and do my last 10 years of my career before I got hired by the Cubs over again, what I would do is I would go watch more games. Mm -hmm. I'd go watch my kids play in more games because it's, I get so, I I do it. You know, you're you're giving less than six nights a week for six hours in the cage. You're you're not watching games. You're not, like, like understanding that, like, what... It, I, I, I couldn't... I, once in the last 10 years, I don't think I ever worked on a two-strike approach with a kid. And that's a failure as a coach. Because when they get in a game and they're down 0-2, that's a different type of swing they need to take than when they're up 2-0. hundred percent. And you know it. You know it. and But we're not working on that mm-hmm. because that's not sexy. That's not lighting up the hit tracks. That's not... You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's the thing that we we have to incorporate more as lesson coaches individual coaches in the in the private sector because ultimately what matters is how successful they are on the field 100%. Now, this
0: I again, I was so lucky. Like I'm just listening to this and I'm thinking of like my coach for 2 years my coach at the end of every lesson we do some sort of competition. And I either walked away winning or losing that competition. And let me tell you when I lost, I was pissed. <laughs> but I think that honestly, that just even one sort of competition. And it was always different. Like sometimes we'd repeat a couple and like, especially the ones where I lost at, of course, I'm going to see it again. But there were so many different types of competitions I'd walk away with. And I've learned that that's why I was such a big competitor. I mean, there are a lot of other reasons. I played with boys when I was growing up. I have siblings like, yes, board games. I'm probably too competitive with board games at this point. But I was raised, Same. yeah. I feel like I was just like raised with that competitive edge. But a lot of athletes might not be, or they're just not exposed to it a lesson. So, do you have like, I'm totally putting you on the spot here, but like, you know, three or five less or competitions that maybe you'll do in the cage that's simple, but also like getting them amped up? I like to add punishments if they don't win just to make them even more mad. But
1: yeah, I like to do that too. Um the punishments are fun. I I think the, the punishment that the, the the way I go about it at least is like, we're all in this together. Like we all have a consequence. Yes. Right. So like, if you like, okay, I need you to hit 10 balls and, or I'm going to pitch you 10 balls. If you make good solid contact and we'll define that as like, you know, if we have the hit tracks turned on, if you hit the ball above 60 miles per hour or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right. And you hit five balls with solid contact then I'll do 10 pushups. But if you don't, you have to do 10 push push-ups. So now it's like we're meeting in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? Now we're both competing. We both have skin in the game. And now it's fun because now I can sit there and I can talk crap to you. Like, uh uh-oh, like, you you know, it's fine. You're just going to get buffed today. It's no big deal. You know, you're just talking like this this banter with the kids. But I think it like levels the playing field. Um, And then like, or, hey, if you hit, I remember one day I had a lesson, with uh this girl, she would d- drive down from Michigan every other week in practice, and she was awesome. And I still keep in touch with the family, they're great people, she's a great softball player. But for a while, like she just could not get the barrel through the zone. She was late on everything, mm-hmm. right? And so one day we're in a lesson, and you know, dr- her driving so far we would hit for like 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we'd get to the end of the lesson, she's tired, she's even later than normal. I'm like, all right, listen. Here comes a pitching machine. I'm going to turn it up to whatever your max speed is that I think you can handle. If you pull three balls, I'll buy you Starbucks. And she's like, okay. So she goes and hits three freaking lasers. Doesn't pull one of them, but hits three lasers right up the middle. And I'm like, screw it. I'm buying you Starbucks anyway. Right. And yeah. so like, because it taught her something. Right. So now she's like, okay, she struggled all day to like feel it and figure it out and like all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, I just introduced a reward. It's like, screw it. I'm getting it done. I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to get it done. Yes. Isn't that what playing in a game is like hundred percent. You know, it's like, gosh, I'm 0 for four today, but like there's a runner on second base and we're down by one. Like I got to get this done. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I will try anything. I'm 0 for four. I'll bunt. If I have to, I'm the slowest person on the planet. I will bunt if I have to, but I'm going to get this job done. That's, that's what competing is. That's what playing in a game is. And so like, there are times where you can introduce those things and really like amp up your training environment. And like it, it, cause that, that is what it feels like to compete is like, I might suck today, but I still have to go and grind it out. Yeah. And so if we can create that in the cage, I think that that, that just helps the kids get better faster.
0: Yeah. And I think there's something to that with that player, because, you know, sometimes we, like it wasn't a great lesson. Sometimes we kind of like beat ourselves up and it's just kind of going downhill. Cause we're only thinking about the mistakes we're making, blah, blah, blah. But literally just saying, Hey, hit it right there. Don't think about how you're going to do it. Just hit it there. And obviously like Starbucks is on the line. So even better. Right. She found a way to like make great contact three times without even thinking about how she was making great contact. Yep. And I think that's huge when it comes to hitting. It's like, how can you get your athlete to do something unknowingly like subconsciously doing it. And because that's what they want, that's what they should be thinking about a game. They shouldn't be thinking about, oh my gosh, am I getting my hips into it more? Am I keeping my hands back a little bit longer? No, no, no. Like none of that, none of that should be part of the game. And doing competitions like that is what allows the athlete to just do and not think. Yes. I love this. I love this. Okay. You're basically the Bill Nye of softball hitters. You are so good at yeah, explaining. No, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Because I, I mean, I'm always, I like learning. And I think anybody listening to this podcast, anybody podcast in general probably likes learning. Um, but I think the way that you threw out analogies um, and the way you just just talk about the game, it's so easy to digest um, for most people. So I just, thanks for coming on. Okay. Because I want to be conscious of your time and because I don't want to be late to my lessons. <laughs> I don't want... be late to your lessons. No, I am I still got an hour. We're good. I, I have a plan to do like this five for thread. I'm going to ask you like five quick, just rapid fire questions, whatever comes to mind. I'd love to hear your answer. Um, but before that, I know a lot of people are like super engaged with this conversation and they want to learn more from you. Where do you like to hang out on social? I have a feeling I know it's Twitter, but where do you like to hang out? How can people find you? Um, and just absorb more of your knowledge.
1: So I, during the baseball season, just because like we have a, I don't know, like we're not, we're, we're not one of those organizations that like publishes everything we do online. I'm kind of quiet during the season, Mm -hmm. but Twitter is probably the easiest way to, to get in touch with me. And I'm, I tend to post stuff on my Instagram story quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook is not the place. Facebook is like karen and complaint heaven so like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> i i try not i try not to go on there. i do have a fold and fast pitch page but everything is at fold and fast pitch so you have like a, a million ways to get in touch with me but yeah that's i would say twitter and instagram are the two i use the most um and then there is a so we're about we're about a week away so this is pretty cool i'm going to use your your podcast as a plug real quick Let's if that's go. okay with you i'm ready okay We are about a week away from launching EliteFastPitch.tv, which is an online training library that is going to give everything from movement assessments, uh, mobility exercises, strength exercises, and hitting drills. It's basically like a start-to-finish hitting plan, for, and it's specifically created for fast pitch players. There are baseball products like this on the market. Um, This is definitely going to be more geared towards towards fast pitch softball, which I'm really, really excited about because we... Again, like we talked about before, we get a very like watered down version of everything. Mm-hmm. This is as pro and as all encompassing as it gets. So I'm pretty excited to launch that. Members of that will have access to a private Facebook group where we just basically have discussions and talk. And there's going to be videos, question and answer sessions, like all that kind of stuff where people can just talk to me nonstop, which will be pretty awesome. So um, yeah, like I, I think it's pretty easy to get a hold of me if you really want to, um, and, and have a discussion and work with me. So uh, I'm pretty thrilled about that too.
0: That's so exciting. I'll make sure to get more details and put that in the show notes. So anybody interested can, can go down and and get, be a part of that because you're right. Nobody has anything like that and it is amping up the game and I love it. I was not expecting you you. to launch this, but I'm like,
1: (laughs) I'm like, this is incredible. (laughs) We're we're here. We're getting, we're getting really close. It's been about a year in the, in the works of like, I mean shooting videos and making sure, you know, that everything is right. Like I'm real particular about stuff like this. So um making sure we got it right. And this is this is my baby. So I'm pretty excited about it.
0: I'm excited too. I can't I'm probably gonna join. I really want to see what it's up to. Do it. That's amazing. I love that. Um, all right. Now let's dive into these questions. I'm really thrilled to hear your answers. Um, okay, so first question I have for you. I know you're a competitor. What are things that you would say to yourself in the box to get you amped up and ready to get a hit?
1: I was a one pitch at a time. I was just focused on what she was going to throw. Mm. So, like, my my thing was, like, just trying to, to figure out, like, what pitch was coming, how fast it was coming. Like, okay, you know, trying to outsmart the pitcher, I guess. That's probably the best way I could put it. Mm-hmm. Nothing having to do with my body. I, if, if it was anything, it was like, if I was late, I would just try to start earlier. If I was early, I would just try to start later. Um, if I swung and fell the ball straight back, I would try to like aim higher, you know, just like little external stuff like that. But for the most part, it was just like a lot of it was just a mental warfare game between me and the pitcher. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I low
0: key would say to myself, like hit it as hard as you possibly can straight at her face. Yeah, that
1: works. Some people, I wanted to hit it over the fence. I'm going right. to be honest. Like, I I went there. I tried. Once yeah. I got, like, you know, to college, like, probably my last two years of college and, and professional ball, when I knew that I was the better player, like, when I knew my hitting skills trumped that pitcher's pitching skills, I was trying to go yard every time.
0: Yeah. No joke. And I think I heard you on an interview saying back when you first started playing your brother was always trying to like strike you out and like when you would like get a hit your joy was like seeing his face and like seeing yep. how mad he would be when you hit it hard so there's no surprise that there's a similar element in you trying to do the same thing yes for i sure. i love that answer did you have a big role model growing up that played baseball or softball
1: yeah i mean i my brother is four years older than me so like i just wanted to to kick his, excuse me, excuse my language, I just wanted to kick his ass, yeah and so, um, you know, that motivated me for a long time. I wouldn't say that it was necessarily, like, a person that was, like, a motivator for me, but I would always find things to motivate me, like, I remember, for four years in college, I played with a chip on my shoulder that you can only imagine, just because all the schools I wanted to go to and grew up, like, I grew up a massive UCLA fan, Mm -hmm. and so every time I would go play like a SEC score or a big Ten score or whatever it was like you're gonna regret this, you're gonna regret this, you're gonna regret this and I just played like I'm going to show everybody what a mistake they made by and I'm gonna sh- and I'm gonna make my coach at Marshall proud for taking a chance on me yeah because I know what kind of a player I was.
0: Mm. What of a what a motivator I don't even want to ask any more <laughs> questions. that was so good
1: uh, but I have to I have to stick with my word. What's your favorite baseball movie and why? Uh, Bull Durham because it's the most entertaining and it's probably the most realistic. Oh, I love that! I love that answer.
0: Mine's for Love of the Game I, for uh, all the emotions, uh, but I, see,
1: I don't. I it's that not one realistic. Didn't do it for me. It's not realistic. It's not.
0: Uh uh-uh. uh it's not. it's not. Bill Durham's and, a really good one, though. Uh,
1: I, Bull Durham's really and I can't. Uh, okay, so it's a tie because I have to throw a League of Their Own in there just oh. because that movie is of course also sneaky funny. Watch that movie. It's freaking hilarious. So though I would say those two. Let's go with those two.
0: Yeah, good one. My senior quote, I think, was uh, not you're not. No, there's no crying in baseball. It was um, it's supposed to be hard. It's the hard that makes it great. And like, obviously, there's more to it. But that still is like one of my favorite quotes of all time. Yep. Great movie. Good one. What's your favorite thing about the game of baseball or softball? Both. Both.
1: I'm in the people business. I like interacting with people. So all the people this game has afforded me to interact with and meet and pick their brains and have friendships with that will last my lifetime. I can't trade that for anybody. I I just love interacting with people. And this is a really, really wonderful medium to allow me to do that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I loved interacting with you. I still have one question for you before I ask it. I just want to thank you so much for your time. I mean, thankfully, I mean, not thankfully, because you've had COVID and, <laughs> and now you have all this time, though. I'm just really grateful that you could be on and to share your knowledge. I learned so much from this conversation. I took so many notes. I'll have to show you later. It's probably too many notes. <laughs> but thank you for what you do for the game. Like, You've sparked a lot of dreams for young athletes um, that want to do what you do. And it's pretty incredible what you've done and now that you're giving more in this virtual training aspect i think it's just a testament to how much you love the game and how much you love seeing it grow especially with the youth athletes so just thanks so much
1: for everything you do <laughs> i appreciate it thank you and I, honestly i love what you're doing and i love that like you're doing it in a part of the country that's obviously very near and dear to my heart too as well so keep keep it up because the world just needs more like positive influences, especially in the world of softball. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. We, we tend to not get as much love here, but also I think what motivates me is just that like, yeah, I'm from a smaller town in Indiana, but like, just cause I play indoors half the year doesn't mean I can, can't go play college and then pro. Like, that's just, I think there's like a very small, small mindset here that there's just so much we can do. Yes. So maybe we yes. can collab in the future and create some cool stuff. Um, just sure. just throwing it out there into the air. All right. Final question that I have for you is what legacy do you want to leave on the game of baseball and softball?
1: Um, I just, I want it to be a more, I guess, inclusive place um, and not necessarily just for like the gender aspect of it, which believe me, like being on this side of like, I'm the only girl on the field 99% of the time, right? Which is something I told you I hated at the beginning that got old and now I'm back. (laughs) Um, More so like personalities, um, backgrounds, monetarily, I think the game is becoming a very, very, we're outpricing a lot of really good players that are going to go play other sports that they can afford. Right. And um, so being a more inclusive place for all genders backgrounds um household incomes you know whether you come from a single parent household or you come from a household with two moms or two dads or whatever like just being an inclusive place where like if you can play you could play like you want to play and and you're you're pretty good at it like you could play on my team right where it's just 100 merit based that's all i'm asking like i think i think that's where a lot of people see this you know me taking a job in baseball and it becomes like this this huge feminist movement and that's great it needs to be that right now but at the end of the day it's like i just want to be judged by whether or not i'm a good coach that's all i'm asking for is just a seat at the table and a chance to prove myself and that's all sports really gives us and so i i really wish that it became a place where we gave more seats to the table for more people to show what they can do and and i i think every year we go along we're taking seats away and we don't realize that we're doing it but we are and i think most of that has to do with just the like income gap like you can't be like a poor kid off the street and play baseball or softball anymore and that's a shame Mm -hmm. because had 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 i grown up in this world right now i wouldn't have been able to play
0: yeah
1: that's just my my background would not have afforded me the the chance to play and so you know that's that's something that i you know when i give lessons like i do charge cuz i have to i have to make a living but like i'm cheap and you can ask anybody around i'm cheap because i refuse to like outprice the people who probably need the training the most mm-hmm. you know so that's where i think you know we can we can do a better job is just making it a more inclusive place
0: well you're doing a hell of a job of it now and i'm excited to see where the game goes because of you thanks so much for being on Yes, I know it had to end, but here's the deal. My plan is to get Rachel back on to talk about hitting more. We barely tapped into the knowledge that she has, which is crazy because she gave us so much, but I wanna give you three takeaways from today to think about. One, not every drill is for everybody. So when you're on social media, and I know I do this too, I post almost every Friday new drills to work on, but remember, your athlete might not need every single drill. Actually, she doesn't need every single drill. Your athlete is really great in some areas, and then there's specific areas where she needs more work in. So if your athlete is trying to develop more ground force, but doing drills that's only working on core is probably not what she needs. She probably needs to start from the ground and work up when it comes to what she's working on. So just realize not every drill is for every buddy. But there are some signature drills like extension drill and some of the drills Rachel was dropping today. Like those are some that every athlete can be doing. But like I said, don't just go on Instagram and look up drills. Here's the deal. Find your core drills and get really good at them. For me, knee down drill was huge. You can find that on my YouTube channel. Extension drill, same thing on my YouTube channel. Those were drills that like were signatures for me that I did every single day that really, when I look back on it, work on things like core stability and rotation. And without knowing it, those were some of the reasons why I became the hitter that I became and got to play professionally like Rachel. So understand that not every drill is for everybody, but find your signature ones. Number two, in games, whether you're a coach or a parent, Do not talk about the physical aspect of the swing. We dove deep into the importance of just finding a focal point, finding a spot that you want to hit it, and your job is to hit that spot hard. I can't tell you how many times in the cages what works really well for my hitters is just simply when we're doing some sort of a competition, it's like, no, just hit that spot as hard as you can. By the way, it's not just like a specific spot. For most hitters, focusing opposite field is huge. So if your athlete tends to pull off and hit everything foul – Then work opposite field, tell her to really focus in, especially in competitions, like I said, focus in on driving it to right center as hard as you can, and then the mechanics will follow suit. They'll follow behind that and they'll actually figure themselves out. So in games, no talking about where your hands are, no talking about the ground, no talking about physical aspects of the swing, get external. We dove deep into that today. And then the last takeaway, number three, is the best way to prepare for games is to compete plain and simple, find ways to compete. A lot of athletes, whenever we do competitions at let's say a camp or clinic that I'm running, sometimes I'll be like, here's our first challenge in competition of the day and I see so many eye rolls. And in my mind, as a coach, I'm like, well, you're not gonna be able to compete in games if you're not excited to compete now. And sometimes fun ways to compete is just like, here's the deal. We're just gonna play rock, paper, scissors around the bases, and the first one to touch home wins. Like, those are ways to compete that are fun, and so it's gonna help, like, spark the idea of liking competitions, find things that they can win at, and then all of a sudden challenge them even more challenge them even more. And competing is seriously the only way that you're going to be able to take practice into games. So really dive deep into that. If you're a coach and you don't have competitions to end every, you know, segment of your practice or at least the end of your practice, what are we doing? We got to develop that fire. We got to develop that heat inside them that wants to compete and win because that's what we need in games. We need ball players. Players that are willing to dive for a ball that's going up the middle, whether they know they can get there or not, because they are just competitors. So get used to competing. That was probably my biggest takeaway from this interview with Rachel. I absolutely love and adore her. I can't wait to finally meet her this winter. I'm really hoping we can make this happen. But for more ways to follow Rachel, go ahead to the show notes. I have multiple ways that you can watch her work, follow her journey with the Cubs. And like I said, I really want to get her back on the show soon. So without further ado, we're gonna have to wait until next week to be back, but don't forget to stay humble, keep smiling, keep working hard towards your dreams. Small wins, small little things to work on every single day whether it's your mental game, physical game, whatever it is in this game is gonna help elevate you and make you the best version of you on and off the field. That goes with coaches, parents, and players. So let's do this. Can't wait to see you guys next week. See you later.